right, y'all. Welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I am the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and I've recorded more than 5,000 interviews going back to 2003, all of which are available at scotthorton.org. You can also sign up for the podcast feed. The full archive is also available at youtube.com slash Show. Like we're live. What's going on, Scott? How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, man. Let's just jump right into this. Vaccine passports. So much discussion. So much controversy on Twitter. Dave is uh, right now. Dave is talking to debating a rabbi because some people are comparing this to like having yellow stars and everything like that so let's go beyond that let's not let's not talk about that let's talk about the real deal here so yeah first of all i was gonna say let me let me ask you could you please tell me everything you know about this thing factual wise what people need to understand about what is the proposal who's doing what what app what federal intervention in the thing everything that you can tell us about that okay I had a podcast listener contact me six, seven months ago and say he was quitting his company because they were in development of a vaccine passport. Um, So there's many companies now that are, you know, they're going to be vying for this. They're going to be vying for the, for the app, you know, lowest, lowest bidder kind of thing. Right now I've seen templates. uh, People have showed, have shown theirs on social media where it's just basically a card. It's a, a card, a piece of cardboard. They put stickers on them saying, you know, you had your first shot and you had your second shot and you carry it with you. So that's where we're at right now. But obviously Biden talking about having this passport and knowing for a fact that there are companies working on an electronic kind of app to, you know, you, I assume you'd have to carry on your phone. And I assume that then you'd have to make the assumption that everybody's going to have to have a phone. So they may mandate phones and give them out or something like that. It just looks like, and then I'll, I'll play the clip from, um, from the Cuomo from Cuomo's show the other night and what this lady was talking about in a little bit. Yeah. It looks like they are, they're talking about clearly Biden people in the media, you know, not people on social media, people on TV are talking about you get the vaccine, you get your freedom back. Maybe you'll be able to travel. I don't know. I, so naive me. I think the whole thing is a non-starter. I think for even people who get the vaccine, they're going to be like, no, I'm not proving it to you everywhere I go and all this kind of thing. The whole idea is that's over. Now we're going back to how things were in 2019 and how they could or should have been back before everything got ruined or what, you know, who wants to live like that? And, and also, and here's the thing about it. Here's where the woke stuff kicks in on our behalf strongly is that, if you divide it by ethnic groupings and this kind of thing, blacks are the most suspicious of this kind of government health care. And, um, you know, there's a giant article in CNN all about the legacy of the Tuskegee experiments. But it's not just that. It's that they always get the S end of everything. And so now they're supposed to trust this thing. They had a great quote in there from, uh, they said, a black guy in Atlanta, Georgia said, oh, yeah, sure. Us poor people are getting the good stuff, just like the rich people. This time only and for the first time ever. Yeah, I don't believe it. Whatever it is in that thing, I don't want you to shoot me with it. I don't care. I'll take my chance. Whatever. So then that means in practice that the uh, exclusion of people without vaccine passports, obviously the phone thing is another important thing, as you say, is all going to skew against poor people and or minorities which is going to, you know, it could be in effect a very much kind of a Jim Crow type of a exclusionary policy. I think that was Dave when he caused this big firestorm on Twitter the other day. That was what he was saying about this is, you know, this is basically creating a caste system, this crazy kind of two-tiered system of citizenship in the country this way. And it's just not going to fly. And you know what? Maybe if it was 
the uh, white majority that was being the most inconvenienced, then it would be equity or something like that. I don't know, Pete. But in this case, it's just not going to be that way. It's poor people are the ones who are wise enough to be suspicious. And that doesn't mean they're always right, but they're they're wise enough to know that they can't trust the system to take care of them because the system doesn't care about them. It clearly doesn't. They know better, you know. So I just think it's not going to fly. I think just too many people led by us libertarians. Great. But I just don't. I think a lot of people never heard of libertarians are still going to be like, hell no, I'm not doing that. And I'm coming in anyway. Get the hell out of my way. And it's just businesses aren't going to do it. You know, the stores, I don't know, the stores say, yeah, wear a mask, but I don't think they're going to make everybody prove their thing with the, I don't know. And, And you know what? I know you know this too. This is a big country, man. This thing was an empire before they ever conquered the Philippines or anything, you know? So, um, I just, uh, there's so many people in so many places that count as, you know, in America. I just can't imagine this thing going over in any kind of acceptable way. I don't know. And maybe I'm, I'm not saying they're not going to try it, but I don't know. They tried the Edsel Ford too, and it just, people wouldn't drive the damn thing. Let me ask the I'm trying to clarify what you were saying. You were you had mentioned the woke stuff. Are you saying that the people who are woke, you know, the the, the rich white people who basically are make up the whole woke class? Yeah, they're going to come. They're going to come to the defense of the poor black well, people. This is who, certainly because, this is certainly those, will be an Achilles heel in their argument. You know, when the passport means that black people can't go to the grocery store in practice, if that's what it means, what are they going to do about that? You know what I mean? The, the contradictions would be too severe. And I agree that you're right, that all this woke stuff is coming from upper middle class, NPR listening, liberal white people in the first place. But I think that, you know, um, and and listen, plenty of black people are going to get the vaccine. I'm just saying overall numbers, as the, the CNN story was fretting, that they just are so, you know, mistrustful of government medicine because of past history. And and look, recent history, right? There's just a story that came out, and I really should have done my research and really read up on this. I only saw the headlines, Pete, and didn't really read the stories. But I'm sure you saw this, where in Chicago, where they were doing, or in Illinois anyway, where they were doing um, forced sterilizations of women in their prisons, black women in their prisons, for years getting away with this kind of thing. And this is just, this is still going on, essentially, and so as bad as that is, which wokeness should, if, if wokeness needs a target, how about fixing that? Um, but uh, I just think that in, in a way, essentially, the, it would be de facto racial and, and economic discrimination against poor and minorities in such a way that it makes it extra untenable. But also, I just think, I mean, how many, even after all the lockdowns, how many independent businesses are there in America? It's not like everybody is owned by one big yum brands chain or whatever, right? I mean, you can't, how are they going to force businesses to go along with this? I just don't see it. I, how can it work? Every gas station, you know, is supposed to do this to let you into this. You know what I mean? That's nuts. I, yeah, I just can't see it. I just don't know. I, and, and that very well could be the limits of my imagination for or high-tech slavery here, Pete, but I just don't see how you can implement this in a way that people can't thwart it simply by yelling the F word and going about their day anyway, you know? That's my plan for what I would do, is I would just say no. In fact, I think even if the government had nothing to do with this and it's just private businesses doing this, I think it'd be great for the libertarians to lead civil disobedience in terms of trespassing on their property and shaming the hell out of them. And telling them, yeah, we're libertarians. Of course, you have every right to do this, but we're still trespassing and shaming you and making a spectacle out of your horribleness. And we should do everything we can to shut down any business that's going along with this um, in a public pressure cancellation kind of a way, you know, of course. Well, I guess the one thing that I would say there that looks like there could be a, a contradiction or in the in the mind of the, you know, the woke upper middle class white is that they're the ones who are pushing this the hardest. I mean, they're the ones celebrating this. They're the ones who are putting on ball gowns to go get their vaccination and posting pictures on Twitter. And, you know, so you're saying that, so on one hand, they're like the most pro-vaccine people in this whole culture. 
and then they're going to defend. Well, I'm going to say they're going to they're going to end up not necessarily defending them, but they're going to end up with a giant hole in their theory that is, you know, with or without them is going to fall apart. I mean, a lot of this woke stuff comes is leftist pressure on liberals and then the liberals adopt so much of it. Right. But, you know, the left is made up of actual minorities and they're going to see very quickly how this problem works when they're whatever segments of society communities in different cities and states around this country who just refuse to participate in this thing what are you going to do now they're not allowed to buy and sell i mean come on they're not they're not going to be able to do that and um, don't get me wrong I, i'm totally with you about the npr you know hillary clinton voters of america being the ones who think this is so exciting but i don't think they've had to face the contradictions yet that like they and Look, I don't think the average shopkeeper has had to face the contradiction yet. And that when, once he has to, his answer is going to be, come on in. You know what I mean? Because people are going to say, look, I got the shot, but I, I'm not proving it. And they're going to say, what? Here's your onion rings. Like, what are we, what are we fighting about? Are you going to refuse to sell people what they want? That's just not going to happen. You know, I just, it's just too many, uh, too many, too many independent business owners in too many places from north to south in near town and every town so um and and frankly you know what i admit i'm i'm ignorant about how you know what their plan is for this but uh you know i know that the feds are saying well they don't want to make a federal law out of it and they don't think they can they're only helping guide the process because they want to protect privacy or something is their guys but then so what are they going to do they're going to pass 50 state laws mandating this no in fact, they're more likely, like in Florida already, you got, and, and I think this will happen in other states, you're more likely to have states outlaw even private businesses from doing this in reaction. I think you already have some of that. Um, and so I just, it, I don't know. I just think it's one of these bridge too far type ideas that they have floated that is not going to stick. How could it stick? I don't know. I just yeah, I can't I, see it as well. It would have to get really dystopian really quick. Yeah. And by the way, right, I'm not saying like, oh, don't worry about it. And so don't fight about it. I mean, it, part of the reason it's not going to stick is because we're going to fight about it. And they're going to know that people are just absolutely not going to have this. So it's up to us. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say like, don't worry, pal, like find a different uh, issue to care about because this is an important one for sure. Hey, y'all, Scott here. If you want a real education in history and economics, you should check out Tom Woods's Liberty Classroom. Tom and a really great group of professors and experts have put together an entire education of everything they didn't teach you in school but should have. Follow through from the link in the margin at scotthorton.org for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Look here, you and I both know that what you need is some Libertarian Institute things, like shirts and sweatshirts and mugs and stickers to put on the back of your truck and to give to your friends too that say Libertarian Institute on them so that everyone will know the origins of your oppositional defiant disorder and where they can listen to all the best podcasts. So here's what you do. Go to LibertasBella.com and look at all the great Libertarian Institute stuff they've got going there. Find the ad in the right-hand margin at LibertarianInstitute.org. LibertasBella.com All right, let me, um, let me play this, this clip. Let yeah. me share this clip um, from Cuomo's show. I don't even know what it is, so let me play it clear to them that the vaccine is the ticket back to pre-pandemic life and the window to do that is really narrowing i mean you were mentioning chris about how all these states are reopening they're reopening at a hundred percent and we have a very narrow window to tie reopening policy to vaccination status. Because otherwise, if everything is reopened, then what's the carrot going to be? How are we going to incentivize people to actually get the vaccine? So that's why I think the CDC and the Biden administration needs to come out a lot bolder and say, if you're vaccinated, you can do all these things. Here are all these freedoms that you have. 
because otherwise people are going to go out and enjoy these freedoms anyway. What do you think about all that? Honestly, I wish I'd seen the whole thing like a minute before and after that too to understand the entire context of what she's saying. I mean, what obviously goes unsaid from her point of view is that the only carrot anyone would need is that they don't get the germ, right? Or, you know, chances are they'll be much less sick if they are exposed to it and much less uh, likely to spread it to someone they care about or whatever. What other carrot do we need besides that? But instead, this is just this Machiavellian social engineering project where here's our crisis, here's what to do. And I like how I always appreciate this out of the mouths of our rulers when they're just so blatant because they're not ashamed because they don't realize that it's wrong to be this off the deep end with their totalitarianism, where it's just like, well, of course we have to do this. Otherwise, how do we get Pete to do what we want? Or what, you know what I mean? They just say it that way. Um, so, but you know what I would ask you, can you remind me who she is? I know I've seen her discussing the germ on TV in the past, but honestly, I do not watch TV news ever since Hillary Clinton ran. I just had to quit TV. I just can't. But, uh, you know, I don't know. It's so ham-handed again. I, it, to me, it kind of plays in. Look at how much reaction that already got. You know what I mean? Where It just sounds so crazy. Um, and I think, I mean, she is from the government, right? She's from the CDC or one of these. Do you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm pulling up who she is right now. Okay, great. Um, yeah. But, you know, Condoleezza Rice and Rahm Emanuel agree. You never let a crisis go to waste. A crisis is an opportunity to do things. And especially if you're the monopoly security force, then your imagination is the limit. You got tax money. And look at the Department of Homeland Security they created in response to September 11th. And the thing is an absolute behemoth. It's the size of the entire government before it existed or something like that, right? Um, and it'll never go away ever again uh, just based on that one little thing when they, you know, weren't even necessary whatsoever in the first place. Yeah. I'm trying to find this woman's name and I can't find it. Um, oh, well. Damn, well, anyway. what the hell was... Yeah, I mean, she's... We've seen her all over the TV since the beginning of this. But... um. Yeah, she's uh, she might just be from Harvard or something, you know. I forget it. But uh, it almost, as much as this stuff that has happened, it almost seems like they put this stuff out there to see how we're going to react. You know, it's like calling it's like calling January sixth an insurrection and insisting that an insurrection happened when nobody showed up with guns in it in a country with a half a billion guns. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it seems like they're okay, how are people going to react to this kind of thing? I mean, it's really the only thing you can come up with. Well, I mean, one way or the other, they're always pushing their luck, you know, no matter what, it's what they can get away with. Um, but yeah, and you know what, honestly, this goes to the entire modern liberal conception of freedom, that there really are no natural rights, only civil ones. And so, you know, all of your freedoms as she says, you know, are simply as described by law, as permitted by your overlords. And so they are to be given and taken by them to you or from you at whatever point for whatever end that they have in mind for you. And they really just believe that, you know, you don't have the right to not be aggressive against. They never heard of such a thing. And, you know, of course you don't. The only question is, which way can they herd you and how, how best to do it? That's what I like about that is more, you know, I think rather than being like a scripted thing to test our patience, I think that's more her saying, well, look, here's my understanding of the situation and just blurting it out. That's exactly her understanding of the situation. She didn't seem, you know, to realize or and again, it does kind of cut off early there. I'd like to see what happens after that, but she doesn't seem to realize it like, oh boy, that was a little bit crass the way I put that, wasn't it? Or anything, you know? So, um, you know, I think, yeah, that's the way they talk at Harvard and inside the CDC and the FDA and whatever. And you know what? Get this, man. I bet you already knew this. I learned this from the Libertarian Party National Committee uh, talking point that they put out on... Um, on Twitter, and I went and Googled it and looked into it, and they're completely right. Did you know this, man? That Moderna developed their vaccine in 48 hours mm -hmm. in January of 2020. The first time they got their hands on the virus, they go, oh, we know right how to do this. 
And this is the same thing they're putting out that they only started giving people shots in December. Or I guess what is it? Maybe late November, I guess. Uh, after half a million people are dead. Um, and, uh, and just because the FDA was like, nope, you got to take our sweet ass time to get this thing out. When they could have, I mean, how long could it possibly take? I don't know the politics of these trials. But, you know, I think the story holds that the FDA kills more people even than the Pentagon. Year in and year out. Like, they are just... Even if you just take, and there have been, I think the Independent Institute and others have done studies of like, if you take the life-saving drugs that they eventually approved, that they were dragging ass on for years and years, and you pile up the corpses of the people who didn't have access to those medicines that the FDA were taking their sweet time on, you know, you're talking millions of Americans die of this, of just what the FDA withholds from them. And it took, uh, till, um... The end of November, beginning of December, literally fully, what, 11, 12 months, 11 full months for the government to allow people to start getting the vaccine. When to the Moderna guys, they're like, oh, yeah, no, we know what to do. We'll just have the thing produce the protein and then you'll attack the protein and the thing. And this is the same shot they're giving everybody right now. They've had it for more than a year. So incredible. I should have went to the chat because, you know, there's probably people in there way smarter than we are. But um, this lady's name is Dr. Leanna Wen, and she is actually the president of Planned Parenthood. I guess that's where I know her from. <laughs> so just, why is she expert on this? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> what, what, how, how messed up is this simulation we're living in right now? I'm telling you, man, listen. All of this is because you people didn't listen to me. Everything <laughs> is because, listen, I told you uh, on the night of uh, 1999, uh, 2000, New Year's, I was on Free Radio Austin, 90.7 FM, and I gave this great talk about which way America, man, we ought to not be doing this because, man, it's going to be bad. And then what America do? Not listen to me. And they elected George W. Bush to be the leader of the world empire at the turn of the millennium. How are we going to get this millennium off on the wrong foot? Okay. Wrong in every way. And drive our society into the ground, commit total, you know, murder, suicide, mass murder, suicide for 20 years straight for no reason at all. When it didn't have to be this way at all. You know, even if you don't believe, which it's true, that Mullah Omar was ready to give up bin Laden, and you still just sent the special operations forces in numbers to go and kill the son of a bitch. The whole thing could have been over by Christmas 2001. You know what Larry Wilkerson told me about an hour ago? Yeah, he got away. I kind of let him go. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> and, and then, so what did we do? We killed like somewhere between a million and two million people, just like in Vietnam. Well, somewhere between three and five million. We don't really know. We don't do body counts. Um, you know, as consequences, I don't mean directly by American bombs, but overall as consequences from America's wars and in all these Middle Eastern countries this whole time. And then, you know, this is what's come to. It's a complete discrediting of conservatism and liberalism, neo-centrist you liberalism the Clinton-Bush dynasty way of doing things. And then it radicalized the entire left and right, for better and for worse, um, you know, further towards socialism and further toward right-wing nationalism and populism, populism on both sides and all around. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and, and essentially a crisis of, of, um, of confidence in everything. You know, I, I was just uh, talking about, you know, kind of this whole left-right populism thing with Immortal Technique for uh, my show on uh, KPFK in L.A. And he was talking about how some of his fans were coming to him with this QAnon stuff. And now he's like, well, you know, there's always going to be some kooks and whatever, but I was kind of sticking up for them that, listen, at least they understand they're being lied to about everything except this one thing they got that wrong, right? But they're looking for someone to say, look— of course, they're lying to you about everything. Here's what's true and give them something to believe in. And in the case of the QAnon thing, it all comes with this sense of belonging that we're the ones who know the truth or whatever it is, right? But, but the point is that, 
You know, it's almost the same as like the reason people believe in this flat earth stuff, whatever it is. The same people who said we were going to Iraq to give them democracy and make them free are the same people who taught them about the precipitation cycle. <laughs> you know, they, they don't know how to differentiate where the line of propaganda begins or ends and what's just true. And um, you got regular sane people, as you were just saying, how crazy is it to live in this timeline, right? Where the sane people feel like they're crazy because this is what we got to live through. You know, it's nuts. And it's all George Bush's fault. I mean, it's all, all of their fault. But it's all George Bush's fault. It didn't have to be this way at all. He just ruined every goddamn thing, man. I'm telling you. It's just, you know, and it is. It's just like when you say the timeline. It's just like Back to the Future 2, where we got askewed to a tangent, and then Biff Tannen became the mayor, and everything went to hell, you know? Yeah, man. Uh, it just seems like they're... It seems that since, uh, I would say, 2015, as soon as Trump you know, announced that he was going to run for president. And then it became clear that he was going to win the nomination. It just, there's some kind of manipulation going on to radicalize certain sections of the population against each other. And I mean, that's what Russiagate was. I mean, there were people out there who actually really believed in it. Yeah. They well, I think more really than anything, that was to story. neutralize Trump is what Russia gave right, right. was. You know, I, I honestly look at Trump as just a total aberration. That was him and Roger Stone saw an opening. You know, they announced years beforehand that you're going to choose from these dynasties, Bill Clinton's wife or George Bush, his brother. And it was known from the time, at least of the reelection of Obama in 2012, that 2016 is going to be Clinton versus Bush. And, and and a very weak and incompetent Bush at that. And Roger Stone saw an opening at that. And then we saw the conspiracy straight out of the written fingers of the conspirators in the John Podesta emails. The Pied Piper strategy and Clinton and her people reaching out to all of their friends in the media, say, for example, Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, right, to do everything they could and all their friends at CNN to do everything they could to boost Ted Cruz, um, uh, Ben Carson, and Donald Trump, because they were seen as the wingers, which shame on Rand Paul for not being included on that list because he was seen as a safe, you know, Bush type. Uh, but they said, no, support these wingers and especially Trump, because, of course, the moderate always wins in the general election. And so he's such a winger and he's such a kook that he'll be the easiest one for Hillary to beat. So we want all our friends to pay the most attention to him. And someone just brought this up to me the other day. I think someone interviewing me brought this up about how obvious it was that, oh, man, it was like a tidal wave coming in or something. The moment he won the nomination, they turned on him. You know, like they had to see him through the nomination and then they went full after him. But, you know, the complaint in the, say, December 2015 and January 2016, the complaint was that CNN would show an hour worth of an empty podium with the word Trump on it, just waiting for the rock star to arrive, while at the same time Bernie Sanders would be given a speech to 5,000, well, whatever, a couple thousand people, and they wouldn't show it at all, you know, and it was just a completely rigged game, and uh, of course, cheaters never win, and the whole thing backfired on them, um, but I think that was the conspiracy to, to uh, support him, was to help her that blew up in their face. And then the Russiagate thing was, oh no, this is blowing up in our face. We have to do something to discredit this guy and hurt him and drag him back down before the election. But then that didn't work. And so then they had to continue the whole thing to cover their ass. And so they went with the special counsel thing. And as they, the FBI counterintelligence division told CNN, well, look, if we can't overthrow him from the 25th Amendment thing, then um, at least we can rein him in and particularly on Russia, prevent him from making a permanent type peace with uh, Vladimir Putin. And so we'll, we'll just call him a pro-Russian traitor for the next three years for that. I think that's the bare bones explanation for that. But then, boy, you're right to left and right hate each other over that. And I'm still mad as hell over that, too. And I'm mad at the people who fell for it, too. I mean, you know, not just the, the perpetrators of it. Everybody should have been able to see that for what it was, that the intelligence agencies going after a democratically elected president, no matter how much you hate him, whether it's no matter if it's Bernie Sanders or Dennis Kucinich or 
Donald Trump or Rand Paul or anybody else. You don't let the CIA and FBI come after your presidents like this. It's crazy to do that. And, and to cheer that on and to take their side. That's how the liberals in Egypt lost their democracy. They won a democracy in a peaceful revolution where almost no one was killed in 2011. Then the right-wingers won the election. And instead of saying, oh, well, we better organize and so we'll win this new left-right two-party democratic system in Egypt and, and we'll do better next time. Instead, they demanded that the military overthrow the Muslim Brotherhood. Now they have a permanent military dictatorship and they'll never have another election again. You know? Great job, idiots. And that's the same thing that the American liberals did in the era of Trump, the side with the FBI and the CIA against a guy who won the election. Simple as that. That's all you need to know right there. You know, totally wrong. I mean, we can't get past this, this rhetoric. It, the rhetoric has lasted for a year now on this COVID thing, pretty much right away, smart people. I mean, I was saying, okay, look, it looks like it's killing old people. We need to, you were talking to, um, anonymous doctors, epidemiologists, I mean, like world-class epidemiologists who were just saying, you know, it's just going to take out, it's going to take out old people. We just, and even he had told you what back in April or May that everybody needs to get this and and yada, yada. And we're all going to get it. Yeah. It's just yeah. inevitable. It's the same thing as he compared it to the H1N2 Hong Kong flu. Which, by the way, my parents told me they got it, and man, it kicked their ass. That was in 1968, and they beat them down for a solid two weeks or whatever it was. And he said, now it's part of the yearly flu season, and eventually this thing will go around. We'll build up immunity to it. It turned out, I think, and and I got to tell you, man, I almost almost never read this stuff. My wife reads up on it all, and I just and only got so much attention. But it turns out that apparently one of the things that he had told me um, was, if you remember, that, or maybe he only told me this later. I forget if this was in the first one or when I just talked to him on the phone separately, Pete, but uh, I, th I think he had, we had talked about this, was that he was saying, well, it's a coronavirus, so um, it could be that, ironically, your best immunity or, you know, your best vaccine against this would be to catch the common cold, a good old rhinovirus, and then you'll be all amped up to fight against coronaviruses. And so apparently I read this thing that said a lot of the mistaken assumption about how well masks work in a general public setting, although there's some evidence that they do help, um, but some of the real kind of over-assumed uh, conclusions about that were because of how well masks seem to work in Hong Kong and in Japan and in South Korea, when the reality is they're just exposed to coronaviruses much more often than us. And so we have our rhinovirus that goes around here in the United States, but I guess they have quite a few other different coronaviruses that they have built up immunity to. And so they just fared better against it. And I think one of the things they definitely told me, you know, when we first talked, what, back uh, in, I think you're right, yeah, it was March or April or May or something last year, was that it's so much of this we just don't know in terms of um, – ethnic or racial differences or whatever genetic differences, other other genetic differences that might help protect people or environmental stuff or whatever, other germs you might be exposed to. Um, and so that was, that was apparently part of it, was they just have a lot more coronaviruses over there in Asia because that's where they all come from. And so that was part of why they fared so much better than we did. And, and then, so big, big error there, right? Because people looked at China and said, wow, their lockdowns did such a great job of extinguishing the spread when that wasn't what it was, right? It was this sort of built-up pre-existing immunity had really done a lot of the work. <laughs> and, and, but then they took the wrong lesson from that, you know. Hold on just one second. Be right back. So you're constantly buying things from Amazon.com. Well, that makes sense. They bring it right to your house. So what you do, though, is click through from the link in the right-hand margin at scotthorton.org, and I'll get a little bit of a kickback from Amazon's end of the sale. Won't cost you a thing. Nice little way to help support the show. Again, that's uh, right there in the margin at scotthorton.org. Hey, you want to know what industry is recession-proof? Yes, you're right, of course. Pot. Scott Horton here to tell you about Green Mill Supercritical Extractors. The SFE Pro and Super Producing Parallel Pro can be calibrated to produce all different types and qualities of cannabis crude oils for all different purposes. These extractors are the most important part of your cannabis oil business for precision, versatility, and efficiency. 
greenmillsupercritical.com. Hey, y'all, Scott here to tell you about Zipix toothpicks. They're full of nicotine is the thing about it. Personally, I miss the stuff terribly, and I'm really looking forward to getting back on it. Seems like they'd be perfect for smokers and vapors who can't afford to stop working and go outside for a break all the time, or for those traveling in planes, trains, and buses and ferries and such. It's the most affordable way to get your nicotine on the market, and they taste great and come in all different flavors. Use promo code Scott Horton and get 10% off Zipix Toothpicks at ZipixToothpicks.com. I, I want to ask you more about um, the, the sure. controversy about this now. Um, you mentioned uh, Dave and the Libertarian Party came up. Uh, the National Committee ended up putting out a good thing. Um, you know, well, first of all... I think go here's ahead. a big problem I have. Here's yeah. a big problem I have is that say they go way beyond what you think they'll be able to go. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to be private companies that are going to be doing it. And there's where the rub is going to happen is that libertarians have this, a lot of libertarians. I'm not saying that I'm not saying people are going to be lining up, but a lot of loud, a lot of people who have a loud platform are going to say, you know, it's a private company. These are private companies. Like, yeah. You know, and we, we live in a fascist state. We look, we live in fascism right now. I mean, these companies, these especially the big companies, they are in bed with the government 100%. I mean, it is just, well, I mean, look, they I think, line up I, I, I mean, here's the deal. Yes, you're right. And, and when you say the bigger the company, I mean, that means a lot, right? Because IBM, for example, is joined at the hip with the national government, right? Same thing for Microsoft, same thing for Amazon, who, you know, hosts Boeing. servers for the CIA, yeah. right? Or yeah. whatever. Right. But again, as we were talking about before, there's I have no idea what the numbers are, but some number of millions of independently owned businesses in this country. And what we're trying to accentuate is libertarianism and property rights. And I don't think it's a correct conclusion that because we live in a fascist state, if any private business wants to restrict entry based on this, then they don't have the right to do that. I don't think that's the right argument. I mean, if we're consistent about who owns what and who has the right to exclude, then that just makes no sense. On the other hand, though, I think that it's okay to trespass and do civil disobedience and cause problems and say just the same as when I was arguing with a guy on Twitter last night. It's the most obvious example to me. I'll climb your fence and skate your pool. But I'm not going to sit here and lie and claim that, like, no, I have the right to, and you don't have the right to try to kick me out of your own damn backyard. I know I'm breaking the rules. I just want to, right? So same thing here. I mean, I think you can—I don't think it's it's wrong. It's, look, this came up—right-wingers get this wrong. Libertarians get it right. There are businesses that say their employees cannot carry guns on the premises, right? And then so— a conservative goes, well, you're a gun grabber, gun restrictionist, whatever. And a libertarian says, no, the same right that that business owner is invoking to tell you that as an employee, you can't bring guns to work is the same right that that gun toting employee has to own that gun everywhere on his own property or on public property, but not on someone else's private property. It's the same right that we're talking about. And in this case, when you're standing on somebody else's land, then it's up to them to decide whether you carry a gun or not. That is a pro-liberty position, a pro-gun position even, ultimately. It's not a pro-gun control, you know, weak. And, and, you know, this is the kind of thing where right-wingers will get this wrong and attack libertarians um, for, for being good on things like this. Well, this is the same thing. But... That doesn't mean that we agree that businesses should tell their employees that they can't bring guns to work. Maybe their employees really feel like they need to bring a gun to work. Maybe not. But that's kind of a separate conversation about what's right or wrong, right? Like whether it's a good idea for you to let your kid drink beer, right? Like it's your living room and he's your boy. I don't have a, you know, a place to uh, intervene there. But I might recommend to you that you should not do that too much. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. So same thing here. And I'd be willing to be rude as hell about it. Like I think, for example, if, if, um, if companies really do try to adopt this, movie theaters and grocery stores and Lowe's and Home Depot and whatever, then by all means, libertarians ought to lead 
massive sit-in protests and whatever we could do to disrupt them on their heaviest business days and, and screw them over on that. Not based on the principle that they don't have the right to exclude who comes into their business, based on the fact or our opinion that they should not be excluding people based on this. And there will be hell to pay if they continue to do it just because we don't want to live this way. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, um, you know, there's there's sort of no question about uh, if we want our local sheriff's department to have drones flying around filming us all the time, right? Um, but you could have private people with drones who also are crossing boundaries. Maybe they're they're hovering over their own property, but they're filming onto yours or they're, you know, doing some other kind of nefarious thing, tracking people around, say, in public, say, private drone owners, but just following people on the sidewalks wherever they go and tracking them wherever they go. You might find some loophole that says, well, it's public property and that's a private drone and so you can't say nothing. On the other hand, you might break somebody's nose for trying that, <laughs> you know what I mean, and tell them that they better quit just because we don't want to live that way where we're being followed and surveilled like that. Maybe you found... I just made up one. I don't know how well that stands up to scrutiny, but um, I'm trying to come up with a loophole here where someone could do something that's libertarianly kosher, but also wrong and should be opposed anyway. And and now, but more to this point, I mean, we're, we're talking about here, right, is Silicon Valley teaming up with the national government to come up with this standardized thing that they're going to try to force all these companies to oppose, which actually gives me the idea that what we really should be doing more than anything else is taking the side of the companies that don't want to do this and that they're the most powerful voice of resistance more than the customers and the consumers is the businesses that don't want to have to put their customers and consumers through this. And that's really probably the most effective voice that we should be, you know, finding those people and amplifying what they're saying and getting that narrative across here too. And, and I do have confidence, though, to go back to the beginning, I do have confidence that Americans are just going to be, at some point, we got to draw a line and be pig-headed about this stuff. You know, maybe not in downtown Austin, but in all of the outskirts, we're just not going to put up with that stuff out here in Round Rock, man. You know, right? I think. Man, I hope so. You know, it's the last year has really shown us that people are, that they're real hesitant to draw a line people are real hesitant to draw a line when it comes to well, obviously safety and yeah. I, that's what they're going to keep up they're going to keep going on safety it's going to be you know and they've already come out and said you know, this getting this vaccination doesn't mean you're not going to get it it doesn't mean that you're not going to be I mean, which I isn't really understand. right i mean they've had I, I was reading in reason where they they had some studies that say well that's just not true you don't get infected with the thing you don't carry it. You don't shed it. You don't spread it. It's just, it, you know, that's just. Then why are the, then why are they saying that? It, it's, well, it I mean, they'd like to you to believe it, I I've guess. Yeah. They'd like you to believe it, I guess. I mean, I got to say around here, people go maskless everywhere. People go into stores without their masks and nobody says anything. Nobody fights about it. Nobody wants to fight about it. Um, I have a friend of mine who he started that what just way back last summer or whatever. He just said, I'm refusing to wear this. And when people say to him, hey, man, you're supposed to wear a mask. He just says, oh, I don't do that. And then he just goes about his business anyway, and it's fine. And 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 honestly, like around here and, and I know east of here. I mean, you live in the south. I live in Texas, which is west of the south. Um, but I know in the south, especially, too, that there's just a culture of this is all of plot by the Cuomos of the world and they're just not going to stand for it whatsoever, you know, which is fine with me. As long as you say the Cuomos and not the Rothschilds, because if you say the Rothschilds from a little debate I was listening to with Dave earlier, then oh, um, that's just big trouble, anti huh? it's anti-Semitism. Yeah, well, I don't know what they have to do with any of this stuff anyway, but, um, <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, I mean, I just, I guess the big thing for me is, and I don't think we've talked about this is January 6th to me seems like a a new milestone, like yeah. a new place where, okay, history reset right here in some way or another. And now we're three months down the line, almost three months down the line. And I mean, everyone's an insurrectionist. I mean, there's 70 million insurrectionists in the country. Yeah. You know, and how can this, how can this keep going? I, I just don't get it. Yeah. You, you know, and I, I both know people who, th who 
think it's an who who consider it to be an insurrection, who call it an insurrection. Oh yeah. Both you and I know these people. Oh, I know. Um you know, in terms of the power there, okay, so the the original proposal was we want to create a new domestic terrorism division inside the FBI and inside Homeland Security, both. So that portends disaster, because all that just means is a whole new era of entrapment jobs, of getting idiots to agree to buy well, illegal weapons. They've been trying that since the 90s, right? Yeah. They've, been trying that, they've been trying that since the 90s with all with the, the militia movement. Right. And varying degrees of disastrous success, you know, catastrophic success, I guess, as uh, George W. Bush would put it. Um, you know, I think it could be really bad. It could be really bad. Uh, on the other hand... You know, I don't know. I don't want to be too naive about this, but I think that uh, there's just so there's just nothing to preempt and nothing to uh, prevent here. You know, like all this fencing around the Capitol building. Like, come on, there's nobody coming. Everybody, at least outside of D.C., is chuckling and going, come on, what are you doing with this? And they brought down most of it. I think they kept a little bit somewhere, but um, they brought down most of that fencing. There's nobody coming. There's no insurrection. The Q movement is not the conservative right in America. This is, you know, um, and and I'm not the expert on this, but I believe it is my understanding that Alex Jones did not push the Q stuff and told his people that right. that was not, not where it's at. He's where it's at, not that. And that, and I should say, like from what I know, that stuff is kookier than him, you know, by a couple of leagues. And and so this is very fringe stuff who, you know, people who believe in the lost continent of Atlantis or whatever. This is not, this doesn't have anything to do with actual political power. And I know Jones and, and his followers were there too um, at the thing. But, you know, in the end, I mean, this is not really the talk radio right of America. This is, you know, even the fringe of the talk radio right. And even then only 5,000 people showed up out of what, 50,000 in the movement around the country or something like that. If you want to talk about the broad patriot movement and militia-type movements, you can't beat that many people. And these people showed up, and as you said, they didn't have guns. And they didn't insurrect anything. They didn't lay their hands on a single congressman. You know, they got away with embarrassing these guys. But then, you know, they compared it to September 11th, but on September 11th, 3,000 people died including heroic firefighters who were there trying to save the lives of others and all these things. Now we're talking, and, and innocent men, women, and children on hijacked kamikaze aircraft, for God's sake, you know, uh, people working in offices. And, um, and in this case, you had one lady on the protester side was shot by a cop, and one lady on the protester side got, I guess, overheated and had a heart attack or something after being... I don't know if she was really trampled, but she certainly like passed out and was kind of crushed in the uh, melee there trying to get into the Capitol where she should not have been at all. Trying to be in the front of the line there uh, doing what they were doing right then. Um, but was, you know, her fatal mistake there was not an intentional murder by anyone. She essentially got, you know, I think she was crushed before she fell kind of a thing, just sort of suffocated or, or passed out or something. Um, and then... They say that there were some pipe bombs planted, uh, but nothing ever happened. Neither of them detonated, and I don't know whether they were real or not. And then the cop that died, died, it turns out, the next day. and Or yeah. later that night. Was it later that night? He was never, never attacked with a, with a fire extinguisher. Right. He was never stomped. Um, there never was stabbed no, with a flagpole. Yeah, the cause of death is inconclusive. I, um, a, a friend of mine who's a lawyer read the, uh, read the death read the uh, autopsy report yeah. there's it's inconclusive oh and by, by the way um you this is from an hour ago u.s capital driver dead after ramming police barricade yeah i bet it was just some accident remember what happened to that lady where she just took a wrong turn and they freaked out and started chasing her and screaming at her and so she then she crashed and they just waxed her and killed her and she had a baby in the car too they just waxed her and he, killed her. she was, was just some innocent woman who took a wrong turn and panicked because she had a bunch Capitol of police, security droids freaking out, screaming at her. Capitol Police Chief confirmed that the suspect had lunged at police with police with a knife after exiting his vehicle. Mm -hmm. And we'll see about that. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. A friend of mine said, you know, who former military, he said, you put a fence up like that. People are going to try it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and still they're going to try what? How far are they going to get? Give me a break. You right. know what I mean? But in terms of actual it. threats. In fact, let, let's get this right. Let's say that Trump 
had said, I want you to go inside that building and prevent this vote from taking place. Well, who thinks that then he would have somehow been president for another four years by interrupting the ceremony that the Department of Justice and the Department of Treasury and the Department of Defense would go along with him being the president if he had tried that? One or the other federal, probably the Department of Justice would have sent FBI special agents to place him under arrest and drag him out of the damn building if that was what he was trying to do. They act like is a magic spell that if Pence doesn't cast it at that exact moment, then somehow everyone is just going to let Donald Trump remain the president after the Electoral College has voted? Come on. Not even Trump believed that. Not really, you know? He just couldn't figure out how to back down from the thing. So he figured he would tell them to go out there and chant, do the right thing, and then that would not happen. And by the way, no one ever talks about this. Uh, not to defend the son of a bitch, because frankly, for him to continue to insist after the Electoral College has voted is just completely unforgivable and criminal itself. But uh, he told, he should just concede it at that point is what I mean to say. But there's a, a, a very important piece in, I'm almost certain, Pete, that is Vanity Fair from a reporter who was embedded at the Pentagon with the new uh, Secretary of Defense, Christopher Miller, and with Cohen Watnick and a couple of these other guys. And he quotes Trump in there telling the new Secretary of Defense, you're going to need 10,000 men. And you have full permission to use, full authority to use the National Guard, gave it to the Secretary of Defense. Uh, full, ex full permission to use the National Guard to the extent required. And then Trump's opinion was, you're going to need 10,000 men out there. To, so it makes sense to me that he thought what everybody would have assumed would have been that there would have been a phalanx of our men to protect that capital. No one was going to go into the capital. Go over there and fight means go over there and chant and stand still and then turn around and go home when you don't get your way. That's the American way. You know, come on. We're not, nobody, he didn't want anyone to go in there and, and do that. Although they say he just thought it was funny and watched it on TV and all day and didn't, you know, it took him forever to condemn it, which is pretty bad. And I believe that about him, by the way, because he is a son of a bitch. Not that there's conclusive proof of that, by the way, but that's what they say. But anyways, there could have never been, none of that was a real threat to the rule of the new Biden administration coming into power on the 20th. You know what I mean? If if Trump had taken hostages in there, knocked out a Secret Service man and stole his Uzi and then, you know, take a couple of hostages, then they would have just had Joe Biden spend the night at the hotel and he still would have been the president. You know what I mean? It's, it's completely ridiculous. And by the way, so I got to talk about this because this, I think, is really important. There's a guy named Robert Grenier. I never can do the French names right. I-E-R, Grenier. It's, that's, it's Grenier. that's like Quinones or whatever. Yeah, see, I can't do it. <laughs> Listen, anyway, the guy's name is Robert something, Robert Grenier, Grenier, and he used to be CIA. He was the station chief in Islamabad at the time of the dawn of the terror war. And he's the guy, I quote him in the first book, Fool's Aaron, saying that, yeah, see, I had, re I had coordinated with the Pakistanis that when the Americans came chasing Al-Qaeda across the border, that we would make sure to kill Al-Qaeda and not kill our own guys because, you know, friendly fire, deconfliction type stuff. And he was the one in charge of arranging all of that. Anyway. So after January 6th, he does an interview on National Public Radio. And by the way, in the book, he says, oh, they tried their best. But for some reason, it didn't work out and bin Laden got away is his take in the book. I thought Kiriakou but, was it. I thought Kiriakou was running that station. Nah. On, on, no. On no, no, uh, I'd have to go back. I think he worked in D.C. on 9-11. Huh. OK, uh, I'm, I'm wrong then. I'm not sure. But Grenier was definitely okay. station chief in Islamabad. Okay. Uh, at that time. Um, so anyways, so he goes on NPR News after January 6th, right? And he says, it's so funny, right? So he admits my whole thesis, I think, that they let bin Laden go. Because here's the way he puts it. And this is just a tangent, by the way. But here's the way he puts it. He goes, well, you know, after September 11th, yeah, I mean, sure, we had to go after Al-Qaeda too. But really our primary target was, you know, the environment in which they thrive meaning the Taliban. In other words, they let bin Laden go. They fought the Taliban down in Kandahar and Kunduz and Mazari Sharif while they're letting bin Laden and the boys get away at Tora Bora and refusing to send. They had Rangers, Green Berets, and Marines they could have sent to back up Delta and CIA there and didn't and let them get away. And to me, what Grenier says there is just an outright admission of that. 
and it's treason, frankly. Uh, but then, anyway, that's not even the point, Pete, because all he's doing is making a sloppy metaphor. And what he's saying is that these Alex Jones fans and QAnon fans that showed up at the Capitol building that day, that that's Al-Qaeda. And that what we got to do is we got to focus on, you know, the broader environment in which this kind of radicalism thrives, meaning the right, meaning everybody to the right of the center, the conservative, populist, nationalist, whatever you call it, type movement, Republican Party voters of America, the things that they believe, Pete, it's all dis and misinformation from the Russians and, and from racists. And so they've got to be deprogrammed. Um, uh, McChrystal says we got to use our counterintelligence doctrine again, or counterinsurgency doctrine against them, at least in the intelligence sense, in terms of um, you know psyops and whatever. Then there's a piece in um, in foreignpolicy.com that ran last week, where they go, look, these QAnon people who are, by the way, I'm being insulting here, and I'm sorry for that, but my point is these are harmless people. Almost entirely. These are just people's folks who got caught up in some funny shit on Facebook. I mean, come on. Um, but in this foreignpolicy.com piece, they say, look, this, these QAnon people and, Pete, fundamentalist Christians need to be deprogrammed from their belief in all this disinformation and misinformation. Well, I'm sorry, but Protestant Christianity in America is a pretty broad spectrum that includes better than 100 million people. I don't know, 150? And then what exactly makes one sect of Methodist fundamentalist and not the next? And who's in charge of deciding that? And you got to de-radicalize these people from what? From believing that Jesus was divine? Is that what they have to stop believing? Because that's the root of their disinformation? Is that the point? Are these people completely crazy? Or what makes them crazy is they think the end times is sometime soon rather than sometime later when presumably all Christians believe that at the end of days, God and Jesus will be in charge around here and it won't just be that the sun gets hotter, right? Um, I just, yeah, boy, I mean, they're just talk about overreaching. They're gone completely crazy. And then the same day that that came out on foreignpolicy.com, Greenwald had a piece about how there's a new Homeland Security report about the radical right and that some congressmen, some Democratic congressmen uh, and women, I guess, got upset about this and complained that, wait a minute, why is this thing partially written by the Defense Intelligence Agency and the Central Intelligence Agency? These guys don't have any jurisdiction in America. What kind of investigation was the CIA doing of Americans to even participate in writing this thing? What do they know about us? They're not supposed to know anything about us. And this is Democrats in Congress were upset when they just saw the the headings on who wrote the report. What do you mean CIA helped you write this report? Well, that's what they meant. CIA is investigating the radical right. And then look, come on, what are they finding? I mean, how dangerous to established order in any county in America, in any state in this union? Come on, it's laughable. Um, if you took the three percenters and the oath keepers and whatever armed militia groups and, you know, and, and who knows whatever different uh, divisions of of uh, patriot groups, you know, who know each other loosely, you know, as, as, as the government would define them as militia men of some type or another. What danger are they to overthrow a single mayor, a single county judge? A single, uh, you know, a, a state legislature or state capitol building or governor's mansion in this country? Come on, that's not going to happen at all. Those, you know, the right to bear arms in America is a deterrent. It's mutually assured destruction. Hey, government, don't try it because it'll be really difficult, right? That's what it is. It's not for actually taking guns and going and killing people with them. It's making sure that the government doesn't ever try to go door to door to really reduce us to absolute despotism. That's the point. And so the idea that these groups are going to go and invade and take over a town soon somewhere, I've heard this line of crap before. I mean, that was what they said about David Koresh. This guy was preparing for a confrontation with the federal government. Really? He lived out on the prairie. 
Where the hell, who's he going to confront? You guys are the one in his front yard, for God's sake. He was preparing for a confrontation. Well, you guys were preparing for a confrontation. So I think the threat is just vastly overblown. And honestly, I know I knew a lot more about the militia movement in the 1990s than I know about it now. But I don't think that they're any more dangerous to law and order or or civilian life, peace and security in this country whatsoever. If there are literal, actual white supremacist groups who are attacking minorities and killing them and things like that, that's not the militia movement. Those are, you know, actual Nazis. And even that is very few and far between. I know there have been some groups that have done some things, um, but they're almost just one-off events. So the guy just stabbed a black guy standing at the bus stop, right? He's from the Adam Waffen division or whatever. Just walking down the street and just stabbed the guy for no reason. So there's been a few of those, but that's not the militia. That's a totally separate thing. Just like what happened in the 1990s, by the way, after Oklahoma City, where they said, oh, yeah, it was the Patriot movement and the conservative movement even. Anyone to the right of Rush Limbaugh did it. Uh, the Patriot movement, the militia movement. And by the way, they're all a bunch of Nazis, but never mind the actual Nazis, because that was who would help McVeigh do it. And I don't know if you remember this, Pete, but in what June of 01, when they executed McVeigh, all the TV news heads said, well, that's interesting. He'd shaved his head. All the way down. Um, I wonder if that was supposed to be some kind of statement or something. Yeah, you guys let all the Nazis get away with it while you blamed a bunch of militia guys who didn't do it. And who were not Nazis. Who simply, after Waco, they said, well, nobody's going to Waco any of our neighbors around here. So we're just going to make sure everybody has a rifle and knows how to use it. Again, just as a deterrent. Just so that they wouldn't try to do that thing, any that kind of thing anymore. Right? Um, we will be ready for a day that never comes is supposed is the point of that for real, you know? Um, but now, so then the challenge is, can the department of justice turn this into a real war, Pete? I don't know. I bet they're going to try. I don't know. I mean, again, there's just, it's just like with the COVID thing. It's the passport. Like we're talking about, it's just inane. How can you keep up a domestic war on terrorism when there's no terrorists? There's just no terrorists. And what are you going to do? You're going to outlaw the voting base of one of the two parties in the duopoly? No. I mean, how far can they push this kind of thing? They can't push that. I don't know. It's, um, there's got to be a level, you know, like as, as far as creating a Department of Homeland Security, um, I, you know, as, as, as wrong as it was, it wasn't completely crazy, you know? Um, you know, the idea was you would have foreign terrorists who need to be surveilled or something, right? But you're going to redo that whole thing again and just go after American right-wingers, broadly defined. I just, I don't see how that's going to work. And frankly, like, even at the state legislature level, I mean, I think there are enough kind of, you know, actual human being, you know, I don't mean to completely dehumanize politicians. Sorry, I do that oftentimes. But like, say, say you got a state rep who's like half human still, right? I think I think there are many of those. I think that there, there are enough people who would just be surprised that the FBI is coming to our state to, to do what now? To entrap a bunch of our constituents into a bunch of fake plots and and cause all these all this chaos where there is none? Where there is none. There's no insurrection. Again, you play up January 6th all you want with your fancy lingo or whatever. Call it whatever you want. But it's not like these things are breaking out. You know, they predicted the, the Proud Boys are going to storm all 50 state capitals and all this. Come on. It, it didn't happen anywhere. You had one or two protesters show up in Albany. You know, that was it in the whole country. So I don't know, man. I just... Um, <laughs> I appreciate that they always need a threat and that they'll make a phantom into a threat and that I don't want to, like, underplay it. But I kind of think that, like, there's just too much water in that gas. You know what I mean? How far can you get on that? It just doesn't make sense to me as a narrative. It's just there's not enough enemies, you know? Just like in Afghanistan, they had to fill up Guantanamo Bay with somebody to try to convince your dad that, like, see, there's enemies <laughs> or whatever, you know, I don't know. I guess they could do that here. They could bust enough, they could entrap enough groups into enough kidnap plots or whatever it is, I guess, to try to make a show of it. But I don't know. Yeah. 
I'll be seeing you off of Twitter soon enough, I guess, for these kinds of opinions. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, I can't go on Twitter anymore as myself you know i have to have i have to have a private account they've just decided that um yeah i'm just yeah not allowed anymore and yeah. and for like the worst for I, I wish it would have been something good you know if i'm gonna take a bullet i, I at least want to be doing something wrong it was you know? just some silly what, what was that anyway it was some tweet or some nonsense thing it was it was an old copy pasta from like the early 2010s where you know someone's like um i'll let you know that i have 10 degrees 10 english degrees and something like that i just put it out there because somebody was being an, a complete idiot so mm -hmm. i'm just like i'm not even gonna bother i'm just gonna copy pasta and throw stuff and they called it bullying and they just nuked the account they called it bullying yeah yeah the use is i'll have you know i have 10 degrees and whatever copy paste thing for some yeah, yeah. other thing yeah boy well, that's, that's weak. the same it's, you know your real it's the same reason you're just it's the same reason people. That, they hate that, you know? Yeah. Well, um, you know, when Vin Armani and I did the episode on the Time Magazine article that was talking about how they fortified the election, uh -huh. all we did was talk about that article. And they said that that was that we were inciting violence and bullying. And all we did was talk about that article. And anyone who knows Vin Armani knows that Vin Armani is not going to do anything to threaten violence in any way, shape or form. He's much better than I am. He's a yeah. much better person than I am. Yeah. You know, and we didn't talk about any of that stuff on, we didn't talk, we just talked about this, th this article is really fishy and it makes it look, and they just came up with something. It's it's actually in my new, in my new Twitter account. If you look at it up in the banner is the, the notice that YouTube sent to me to take down that video. Yeah. And it's just like, we didn't, all we did was talk about a Time Magazine article. And that's, yeah, it's the Democrat side of the story, right? It's not the pro-Trump story that like oh they stole the election from our dear leader it's not that at all it's time magazine going well here's how we did it <laughs> that's good stuff let's yeah. get out of here man um okay. what do you want to promote what do you want to talk about antiwar.com is the most important project in the world uh then their second place is us the libertarian institute yep. libertarianinstitute.org and uh i'm on the radio on sunday mornings kpfk in la i got 5490 something interviews at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow. And I wrote those books, Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, which Pete liked them both a lot. So what does that tell you? Thanks, Scott. Talk to you. I'm going to cut this live stream now. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. APSradio.com Antiwar.com scotthorton.org and libertarianinstitute.org.